0: Please stand for the reading of God's Word from Psalm 123. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. good morning again and welcome. I'm Travis, the pastor here. It's good to be with you this Sunday morning. Uh, If you are just visiting, oh, we're alive. Is everyone here? I'm still here. Good. Y'all are quiet though. How quiet can we be? you mm, you're good Presbyterians. You're even quieter than I might allow you to be. So, wonderful news. Uh, we are continuing in a series on part, the first half of what are known as the Psalms of Ascent. We've been calling the series Songs of Ascent because these have been identified as something like a, a pilgrim songbook for the ancient people of God, as they would make their way at least three times a year to these these festivals that retold the story of who they were, of who God had been for them, of what he had done for them, of what he was calling them to do in that time and the times to come. And as they would travel up to Jerusalem from the various parts of Israel, they would sing these songs. They would prepare their hearts for that time where they would be gathered together as the whole people of God, enjoying the presence of God, the direction, the worship, the blessing of God. These became part of that worship itself. It was the journey becoming part of the destination so that all things were bound up into God. And as Eugene Peterson points out in his book about these psalms, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, these psalms can be used to the same effect in our lives, to sharpen in our hunger for the things of God while we are on this journey of discipleship between here and eternity, between now and the time that Christ comes back and we see him face to face. These things can be used to shape our daily lives as we are just going about the ordinary things of walking after the footsteps of Jesus. So I hope that this series will help us continue to see more of who God is, more of who we are, that we will grow together with him on this journey. And today we're continuing by looking at Psalm 123, focusing there on our relationship to God. What is it like? What do we expect our relationship with God to be like? This psalm is getting at some of those things. It may be a little oblique, but it's there. It's really at the essence of this. The core of the psalmist crying out about things that are difficult relates to that person's relationship with God. And so I want us to see what this psalm shows us about our relationship to God through just two things, the relationship that we expect and the relationship that we receive, the one that we expect and the one we receive. Before we get into that, though, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Let's ask God to be present in our time as we open his word. Lord, we pause for a moment, remembering that we have just heard through your word that you speak, that you speak through us, that you don't just speak in a voice from afar, but that you often use our own voices to encourage us, to call us back to you, that you like to work organically through who you made us to be because you see something beautiful about who you made us to be, that of all You have created, you chose humanity to represent represent you here in this time, in this place, and so it is only fitting that you speak through us. And so this morning I pray that you would speak through me, but more than that, that you would speak to these hearts, and that in in kindling these hearts with the greatness of who you are, with the greatness of your love, that you would teach them to speak love and grace and truth to one another. That it might not just be on Sunday for a few moments, but it might be through the week and our days and hours that we are speaking the words of God to one another because of the grace of God that is alive in us. So this morning, God, would you come and would you be alive in us by the power of your Holy Spirit. In your son's name we pray, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to have those open. We're going to go back through the text a little bit together. If not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. But we're going to begin with the relationship that we expect. The psalmist begins this this song by sharing a picture of how they're relating to God in this moment. How are they relating to God? How are they connecting to him? What do they understand that relationship to look like? Verse 1 says that they are lifting up their eyes to the God who is enthroned in the heavens. This is a person who is looking up. They are catching sight of something that is far beyond them. In the same way that we look up at the moon or the sun or the stars, you are looking up at things that are very far away from you. You are not close to them. You are looking up in a way at them, something that's in the heavens, something that's of a different category, a different status than you are. And the psalmist unpacks that a little more, showing that there is an understanding of distance between the God that the psalmist is calling out to and themselves by saying in verse 2 that they're doing that like a servant would look up to a master in the ancient world, like a maidservant would look up to her mistress in the ancient world. It's a position of someone that is lower looking up to someone that is higher to have their needs met. Now, that dynamic of master and servant, of mistress and maid servant, that master-slave dynamic of the ancient world, has a lot of emotional weight to it. It has a lot of painful injustice and in history to it. Things that were wrong, that were not the way that God has meant them to be, and we are not going to, unfortunately, be able to get to all that here this morning, but we're going to look at some of it. To see how the psalmist is using this picture, a picture of brokenness that was broken even in their time, to help us understand something different about how we relate to God, despite the fact that there is a greater distance between us and him than there would be between someone who is lower socially than someone who is higher socially, And he's doing that through using a familiar picture, a picture that would have been familiar to all of Israel because they had spent, as their history of a people, 400 years being lower, 400 years being slaves and servants to others. This wasn't a term that they are using lightly. This isn't a a concept that they are unfamiliar with. This is a term that the psalmist is using as someone who knows what it is like to be part of a people who were subservient to another people for centuries just because of what they look like, just because of where they were from, just because people feared what they might do. He's using a broken and a difficult picture, but a familiar picture nonetheless to teach us something different about God, to reveal something different through this picture of servitude. But to get to that, we have to go through what's familiar. We have to go through what's the same that the psalmist is using to help us see something different. So what's what's the familiar part of being a servant that the psalmist is getting at in these verses, one and two in particular? Well, service in the ancient world and in ancient times looked different in different places under different regimes and different circumstances. It would be impossible to unpack every facet of what servitude looked like, all the different ranks and statuses of slaves, of servants. Some were more honorable and had more status. If you look at Daniel in the Old Testament and Babylon, he was a slave and a servant that had immensely high status. There were other slaves and servants that had very low status. They were treated various ways and in very different manners. But what they would all have in common, despite where they were or what their position was, and this is true even in our own thinking, is that a servant was in a position of humility before a master. A servant would be unequivocally, no matter where they were or what they were doing, in a position of humility before a master. They would be considered lower in status, in power, in wealth, certainly, than whoever their master was. They were not greater than their master. Jesus says this. A servant is not greater than their master. A servant is always lower. They are in a position of humility. And that humility puts the servant in a different position than the master would be in. That humility puts the servant in a position of asking, not demanding, What does verse 1 say? Or sorry, verse 2. It says they are looking to the hand of their master. It doesn't say the servant is looking to their own ability, their own strength. A hand could be a metaphor for strength in the Old Testament. They're not looking to their own strength. They're looking to someone else's. They're going to have to ask for what they need. They're not going to be able to just control and take it. They have to ask. Second, that humility is going to put them in a position of waiting and not demanding. What does verse two say? It says, we are gonna, we're going to look to you until he has mercy on us. That means at such a time of his choosing, not my choosing. It is not on demand. It is waiting. This is, and I know I'm dating myself or some of us that are younger here, but once upon a time when you watched television, there was no on demand. There was no DVR. There was no if I can speak that ancient name. You only had the time that the show was on, and if you didn't see it then, you had to hope that they re-ran it at a later time. You were just waiting. We were somewhat in a position of being servants to the content in that time. Now, very different. But in servitude, you are a position of humility, of waiting on something that you don't have control over, that you don't have on demand. This is the familiar nature of being a servant. You are asking and you are waiting. You are not in control. You are not demanding. You are on someone else's timeline. You have to look to another. You are humbled by these things, by a difference in your power and someone else's power. Now, in our world, oftentimes, being in that position of humility means you are taken advantage of, and it means you are treated badly. Verse 4 says you are treated with contempt and scorn. The psalmist is describing the familiar experience of being a servant in this world. In our time, in their time, in all times, that you're treated badly by those who are above you in power, in status, in popularity, in likability. That's the familiar part of service that the psalmist is getting at in verses 3 through 4, that people lower down are treated poorly by people who are higher up. People with less status, less influence, less likability, less of the things that we consider normal in society are treated more poorly than those who have that other status. And so the psalmist is experiencing that feeling and is asking God, verse three, to have mercy, a word that can It's difficult to translate a little bit, but it can mean to be gracious, to show favor. Sometimes we can think of mercy as I've done something wrong, have mercy on me, but it means to be gracious, to show favor, to help me to be there. He's asking for this because he feels he's been treated so badly. They feel as a people they have been treated so badly. They've been served so much contempt that if it was food, they would be stuffed. That's what it means to say that we've had enough. We've had, had our fill of contempt. That means that they are stuffed. They can't take anymore. They don't want any more. They've pushed back from the table. They've said, please, please, please. No more. No more. I can't take it. I don't know if you've been to a Brazilian steakhouse, but many of them will have these little cards. Red light, green light. Green light means bring on the meats. Red means please no. No more. I can't. Right? This is a red light Two, the idea of more contempt. Please, no, I can't. I can't do this anymore. Please make it stop. They have been treated this way and had more than enough by those, verse 4, who are at ease. It says, the proud. Basically, people who are comfortable in society, who have more status, wealth, power, position than they do. And those people see and abuse those who are lower than them, who are in a humble position, making that humility something wrong instead of something beautiful. They take it as humiliation instead of the humble self-giving service that it is to care for someone else. People in power often treat servitude as worthlessness instead of the usefulness that it is. We often treat service as lacking value instead of bringing value, which it does, stealing dignity from those equally made in the image of God by giving a different gift and having a different station than us. And the psalmist is drawing out for us that if we meditate on this more, if we're honest with ourselves, that this is the kind of relationship that we expect from God. Often, you and I, especially if we don't have a relationship with God, expect him to be like what we see around us. We recognize, if we acknowledge that God exists, or even if he might exist, that there's got to be this great distance, that there has to be some vast separation between us and him, but in that we expect him, maybe only subconsciously, to treat us badly because of that difference, because we have looked at the world around us and we have seen people in power, with popularity, with standing, promote things that hurt us, things that hurt others, that have promoted fighting and cruelty. You've probably seen this at school. You've seen this in relationships. You've seen this at work. You've seen the ways that people steal and are greedy and push you to the side using their power to get what they want and not caring if you have what you need. We've seen people instigate disasters and abuse because of carelessness, because they are wanting what they want and it doesn't matter what happens to other people. We've seen people in power use manipulation and betrayal, meanness and shaming to keep other people down so that they might have what they want. More than that, we've looked at ourselves in the few places that we have power. And we have probably not liked what we see in ourselves when we've used it. Probably not liked who we've become when we have a little more power, when we've used it the wrong ways. We've seen some of that same cruelty, greed, shame in our own hearts. And we've looked at all this and we've thought, if this is what people with a little power do, certainly God with so much more power is only going to be worse. And the experiences of our lives, the brokenness and pain of the things that we have gone through often lead us to feel like this is who God is. He doesn't show up. He is vindictive. He is cruel. He is indifferent at best. Brokenness and suffering put us in that place where we tend to see God through the lens of what has happened to us where we feel like the relationship we expect from him because everyone else is like this, everyone has told us over time, that's who he's going to be, that's what he's like, he will ultimately let you down. When you are in that place of brokenness and suffering, you start to think maybe it's true. But the psalmist uses this expectation of what is familiar and painful and sad to show us something different. Because the psalmist has seen the same things, probably worse things than we have seen in the ancient world. But despite all that, the psalmist somehow expects God to be different. Scripture is not naive. If you were to go back before the psalm starts, just go through the books of Kings, Samuel, Judges, you will see they lived in a brutal world. People were not kinder than they are now. This is not a naive people. This is not a people who are inexperienced with things like brutality, slavery, genocide, killing, stealing, all sorts of abuse. These are people that have experienced these things, perhaps more so than we have in a more comfortable Western world, and yet the psalmist has gone through those things, and yet expects God, having seen maybe worse than we have, to be different. Expects Him. Not to somehow not be a master, not to somehow not be far off, but to be that far off distance and yet be different, to have a different system, to have a different character, a different approach of a master to one who is lower than him. And that brings us to our second point, not the relationship that we expect with God, no matter what we have seen, but the relationship that we actually receive. Because the psalmist does expect God to be different, to treat those lower than him, not with indifference, not with hostility, but with grace grace and dignity, with value. And the psalmist expects that because God has made himself known, the psalmist knows him as someone who listens to people that are being mistreated. The psalmist knows, God as someone who listens to people who are being mistreated, who hears them when they are crying out. Think of a few examples. In Genesis 16, scripture says he heard Hagar, the maidservant of the mistress, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. and She is out in the wilderness crying out for having her body used To give a child to someone that was not her husband, in a system that did not give her a choice, and then being rejected for it. That passage says that God heard her affliction, and she says, because of the way God speaks to her and cares for her, that he had truly looked after her a servant. If we think about the people of Israel more broadly crying out for mercy under slavery and mistreatment in Egypt for 400 years, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, God says, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. The Exodus is one giant paradigm of God hearing his people suffering and doing something about it. He even goes so far in Exodus 22, having brought them out of that slavery and genocide to say not just that he is going to be for them and if they do whatever they want, it's no big deal because I'm only about you. No, he says something different. He says that if his people were to mistreat the refugees, the immigrants, the wanderers who were not part of ethnic Israel, but who were part of that people living amongst them, he says, if you mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will come on you with vengeance swiftly. God's saying that even for those that he has not made promises to, if they are crying out, if they are in that position of lowliness and servitude, that he will hear them and he will act. That's just three small samples from the whole picture of God hearing people that are in a low place and promising them his power, his listening and his deliverance. See, the psalmist expects God to be different because in the midst of all the pain of the servant-master relationships that that psalmist would have known, he can look back on who God has been and remember that God has shown himself to be a different kind of master. He was not like the Egyptians who were cruel, who told them, you need to make exactly what we tell you to make even though we take away all your resources for making it. He was not Kind of master. He was a different kind of master. He was a master that gave rest, that instituted the principle that you who are my people, you are Israel, my servant, and yet to my servant belongs a whole day of rest. Slaves don't get rest. But God's servants get rest. Where we expect God to come down on us like the masters of the world around us in harshness and contempt, he comes down differently in humility and grace. The psalmist looks around at a world that hurts and feels that. There is no question that he is feeling that in Psalm 123. There is real emotion he is hurting here, but he doesn't project that onto God, but he remembers who God has been and calls out to him to still be that same person, that different kind of yes, far removed but compassionate person. Eugene Peterson says in that same book, the prayer of verse three, mercy, my God, mercy, asking God to show up in our needs with his grace is not an attempt to get God to do what he is unwilling to otherwise do. It is not that. But it is a reaching out to what we know that God does, to what he does do for us. The psalmist is asking God to show up in the face of people being mean, people shaming you, people being unkind, showing you contempt and ridicule, because this is what God does. This is who he is. He isn't asking for something that God has never done that he is disinclined to do. He is asking for something that God has shown himself time and time again in Scripture to say, this is who I am. This is what I do. If you call out to me, I will answer you. This is... Who I am. The psalmist is calling on him just to be who he has said he will be. And God has explicitly said that he is all about grace, he is all about mercy. And that's why the psalmist calls out to him to be different because he knows he is different. He is putting his faith in the fact that he is going to be different. And he knows that's going to be who God is, not just for equals, but for those in a place of massive humility before him. Even though God resides in the heavens and we are here on earth, even though he is creator and holds the cosmos in his hands, and we are creation that lives for but a breath. God's relationship to those who are so vastly below him in power, status, time, and our very nature is not contempt. It is mercy and grace and favor. Even though he is vastly different than us, his relationship toward us is so gracious so gracious, expressed most truly in Jesus that he would even become one of us, that he would step down into the place of the servant. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, meaning actually God, he did not count equality with God being a peer, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of, the true nature of, a servant being born in the likeness of humans. Jesus was and is master, dramatically different from us, God of God, but he did not look down on us or expect us to step up to him. He didn't dismiss or hate us for being lowly, for being sinful, for causing him pain. He didn't hate us despite that, but he entered into our lives as one who came not to be served, in his very own words, but to serve as one who Paul goes on to say in verse 8 of chapter 2, humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, to answer our greatest cries for mercy and grace, to end the mistreatment, the contempt that others give us and that we give ourselves and others, to stop in us what makes us despise others and what makes others despise us. He is the master who becomes a servant for the sake, not of himself, but for the sake of a servant. For the lowly. This is what Peter cannot fathom, that Jesus would possibly do the lowest act that a servant would do in those days and wash the dirty, disgusting feet of people who walked around in roads that were not paved with animals everywhere in sandals. Peter can't comprehend that Jesus would come as a servant for the servants, that he would be one who lowers himself to those dramatically lower than him, that they might be lifted up. And if you believe in him, he really has lifted you up. You may not feel that in your current station right now. You may not feel that in what you're going through. You may not feel that in your relationships. You may not feel that here. You may not feel that in your family. You may not feel that in your work, in your neighborhood, at school. But Paul says, and this is the even more amazing part in Philippians 2, that God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God has made the one who bent down and became who became a servant and was crushed to lift us up he has made him higher than anything else and pay attention to this Jesus is still in the flesh he became incarnate he took on humanity he has not taken it off right now Jesus rules and reigns at the right hand of God the Father Almighty as human with hands feet a body humanity humanity The servant, a creation of God, is now seated with God, ruling over all things. Your human nature, an exact parallel to you, is ruling and reigning with the God of the universe right now. God has put the servant on the throne. Do we see what God does with those who are lower than him? Do you see in Jesus how his heart is so deeply to lift you up to where he is? To give you a different name in Jesus. To give you to rule and reign alongside him in Jesus. To give you, despite your lowly status, an exalted, glorious, beautiful nature in him. This is a master who doesn't just care for his servants, he raises us up to be those who, as Eugene Peterson says, quote, "He rules, guides, commands, and loves as children whose destinies he carries in his heart." That's what it's like to be a servant of the God of grace—that you are someone whose destiny he carries in his heart. think God doesn't hear you. And Jesus, you are seated next to him. You are bound to him. Isaiah says, how could I ever forget you? I have written you on my hands. This is a very different relationship. This is the relationship that we receive in Christianity. Christianity. A relationship of grace where God lifts us up. And this we receive just by looking to His hands that were stretched out, that were crushed, pierced for our contempt and mistreatment, just by calling on His mercy and grace to lift you up and waiting on Him. This is the relationship that we receive, and to invite you to receive it a little more practically this week as I conclude, I want to invite you to do two things, to receive this relationship, not some other, and to take a look at the posture of your relationships. So first, to receive this relationship, if you've been expecting a relationship with God that looks more like the world around us, if you want to reject God who is like an earthly master who is cruel and vindictive or indifferent, do that. I would do that. I want you to do that. But that is not who God is. Don't reject a God that isn't for the God who is. Don't reject some person that you have this impression of what their personality is like, but you've never actually met them. You don't know what they are like. You don't really know their personality. I want to encourage you, find out who he is. See if he really is different. And as Christians, I want to encourage you to receive this relationship anew. We are always wandering back into that old paradigm of Egypt where we think God is cruel, and he is a master that doesn't care and expects us to work hard and doesn't want to elevate us but just wants to use us. Where are you living like God isn't really different? Where are you anxious and angry about things because you don't feel like God hears you? Receive this relationship from him. Expect him to be different even if that is only in the end. After all things have passed away and he has made all things new, even if for his own reasons that we can't understand, we have to wait because that is the posture of humility of a servant. It is to wait, but we have a better confidence that our master is different. And Jesus shows us unequivocally just how different he is. So if you have to close your eyes in death, waiting for him to answer, just like Jesus had to wait for the Father to answer on the cross, then close them in faith, because there is no other master like this master. There is no one else who gives up their power to elevate you and to see you lifted up, who holds your destiny in his heart. And taking that relationship, I want to encourage you to take a look at the posture of your other relationships. What's your posture toward those that you see as lower than you, as less than you, less experienced than you, less knowledgeable than you, less funny than you, not as nice as you, that have fewer gifts than you have, that have less money than you have? that have fewer degrees, that don't have as good a career, people that don't drive as well as you, that don't park as well as you, that don't eat and chew the way that you think people ought to eat and chew. I'm getting a little personal now. I know I'm getting closer. right? Amen? People who don't walk or talk or run the way that you do. Is your relationship, your posture towards those people, is it one of... Mercy. If those people were to say, mercy, show me some grace and favor, would your response be the response of Jesus to say, how could I not show you grace and favor? See how much you matter to me. Where are those places where where we feel like those who are lower than us don't matter as much, where we don't have that heart of God in us for the servant, wherever you find that it's not there, I want to ask you to call out to God. Ask him just to do what this psalm does, to have mercy on you where you're hard-hearted where you don't want to be merciful towards others, to ask him to change you because that's what it is to be in the posture of a servant. We are looking to another to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You do get to have a master in the Christian life. You don't have to be the master and do all things for yourself. You get to have someone that you can call out to and say, help me. And you have someone that is not just willing but able to do it. Someone who delights to step down and answer, to lift you up. Someone who holds your destiny in his heart. Ask him to reshape you, to be like him. Let's pray. We'd like to leave a little time for you to reflect in prayer on some of the things that we've just talked about, things that God's putting in your heart. I invite you to thank God for stepping down in humility like he did, though he is infinite and vast and beyond time to step down into time as a human and experience life here because he cared for you. Maybe confess the ways that that you've projected onto God a relationship that doesn't match who he is and ask God to give you a heart like his that, that shows mercy even to those who aren't like you. Let's pray. God, would you hear these prayers? Would you hear our cries for mercy? Would you answer? In your name we pray, amen.